2: Start. <laughs> mm.
1: Piki mai, kake mai, and welcome to Our Changing World. Ko Allison Balance tenei. Later on, we'll be out and about during a bio-blitz with Koronui School. But first... I'm sorry to rain on your festive season parties, but here's some sobering science about drinking and driving. Road accident statistics already tell us that the two don't mix well. And now, two psychologists at the Traffic and Road Safety Research Unit at the University of Waikato have been drilling down to find out exactly what happens when we have a few drinks at a party and then get behind the wheel. We'll also be finding out that there might be some good reasons to use your mobile phone while you're driving, although generally it's not recommended. The key to Nicola Starkey and Samuel Charlton's research about driver behaviour is a real car, which just happens to be parked in their lab in front of some very large video screens.
3: An awful lot of driving-related research, people tend to use quite small, almost like desktop simulators, and people drive quite differently in those to driving in a real car. We see participants getting in our car. When you get in a real car, people automatically put their seatbelts on, sit with their arm out the window, and they actually feel like they're driving a real car. So I think it's really important that we do have a full-size car that looks and feels like a car rather than just a desktop computer.
0: We run this simulator in several different modes. We can run this... In sort of a virtual reality mode, where we can create the world around it and try things uh, that have never been tried before, or that would be too expensive or unsafe to do in the real world. But we can also run it in a video mode, where they they drive a familiar road using their accelerator and brake to change the speed, and have some limited steering. And we can do that either either as a series of clips, which gets them around the country very quickly, or as a longer drive, continuous drive, which we would then pop them into one of the university cars and go out and drive in real life and
1: compare the two. Now you're in the middle of firing this up, so what does that involve?
0: I'm going to start it off with with one of our virtual worlds. And this was for an experiment where we were trying out a smart app, a smartphone app, that reminded people of the speed they should be going and warned them if they were going too fast. And, and this was of interest because we don't know whether, whether smartphone devices are all distracting or potentially if we could design them to put in the car where there would be a, a benefit.
3: So we know that um, using a cell phone while driving is quite distracting and we also know that... It's actually not just the handheld nature of the phone that makes it distracting. There's a huge amount of evidence that the cognitive distraction of having a phone conversation whilst you're driving a car also impairs your driving performance, it leads to much slower reaction times. But there has been a huge increase in the number of um, smartphone apps that are actually meant to assist drivers, so collision warning systems, speed-related information, route advisories to avoid traffic jams, and this work was funded by the New Zealand Transport Agency, and they wanted to know whether these types of applications could actually be beneficial for drivers or whether they still produce quite distracting effects and impair driving performance.
1: Let's go for a drive.
0: We've got uh, about a 170-degree forward field of view, and we've got two rearview mirrors, and we've got a functioning uh, speedometer, a functioning dashboard, and we just press on the accelerator, and we're away through our, our little world. And so what we tried to do was design a representative world, but not any particular world, if you know what I mean. Now this looks very familiar because it's it's the coastline around the Bay of Plenty. It's an actual highway, that is the geometry is the actual highway, but we've modified it because we wanted some control over the, the kinds of situations that the drivers would encounter in about a 30-minute drive. So we've we've added a busy intersection and we've added a one-lane bridge and we've added an overtaking lane where they wouldn't actually be uh, on the actual highway Which is a a really nice thing you can do With virtual worlds
1: <laughs> Well I have to say the impression Is that we are moving It is very bizarre because if I look at those video screens We're definitely driving down the road And my stomach lurches when we go around the corner <laughs> And then I have that terrible feeling of disjunction when i look sideways and realize we're sitting perfectly stationary in a room that's
0: right <laughs> that's
4: right
3: i think a lot of people are really surprised how much they feel like they are in a real car it's incredibly difficult getting out whilst the car's moving which obviously you can but it goes against all of your better instincts you definitely do not want to open the door and we quite frequently have people ask, do people actually drive like they do in a real car? And the answer is, yes, they do. They tend to stick to the speed limit, tend to obey road rules. And I think that's hugely helped by the fact that it is a fully functioning car
1: and you're just driving along a road.
0: It feels very real and people make the same mistakes they do on the road.
1: So the study that you mentioned before using the smartphone app Mm. to give people feedback about their speed limit for instance, how did that go?
3: Well it was really interesting. We actually found that essentially the app helped people stick to the speed limit. There were no negative effects of this app. We'd set it up so that it would trigger to either flush or provide an audible warning each time people went into a new speed zone. So when they passed a speed limit sign on the road I think we all know that when you drive, and particularly if you're driving somewhere unfamiliar, posted speed limit signs only occur every now and again, and you can frequently be driving along a road wondering what on earth the correct speed limit is. We've all had that experience. Yep. One of the potential advantages of these apps is that they can constantly display the current speed limit so people will adhere to the speed limit. And our participants um, slowed down better into new speed zones, and we actually found no destructive effects at all. Essentially, we decided it was beneficial and one of the biggest challenges would be to try and encourage people to actually use these types of apps as opposed to discourage their use.
0: We set about to show that it is possible to design one and locate it in the car where it didn't cause undue visual distraction, where it didn't require long glances, didn't require a lot of interaction.
3: For safe smartphone use probably there are a couple of key things. One of the key things is actually where you're actually going to put your phone If you're going to use your phone either to answer calls or using a map based function, making sure the screen is within your line of sight and fairly close to where you're looking on the road is actually a key factor. And this is something that people frequently don't um, think about. And also, whatever function or app you're using, particularly the speed app that we designed, essentially the only display was actually um, a speed limit sign on the front screen. It's easy to see, easy to find.
0: And it matches what you see ahead of you. It matches what you see
3: on the road.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. so in this little driving experience, because I like to say you are still nicely driving along, oh, we, we've just passed the 100k speed sign, so that that would also register on your phone.
3: Yep, that's right. Um, so certainly the way the device was set up in the car, yes, it would register on the phone.
0: We've been exploring other ways of... of telling people what the right speed limit was. Another, another project we recently completed for the Automobile Association Research Foundation was using road markings uh, to designate the correct speed. And so we changed uh, the layout and color of the center line markings, for example, and the edge line markings so that people would know that, oh, this is a 100-kilometer-an-hour road or a 60-kilometer-an-hour road or an 80-kilometer-an-hour road. That, too, was, was very successful.
1: Well, I'm going to suggest that we... Pull over? Pull over, and, um, so that you can stop driving. And then let's uh, have a chat about another thing that happens that's particularly relevant for this time of year, just before Christmas. So thank you for the drive. Um, I enjoyed the scenery. So alcohol and driving. I gather you've been doing a bit of work on that. We
0: started by thinking about the, what was then... Blood alcohol limit of, of what's called 0.08, which is high and higher than most countries. And we wanted to gauge what the improvement would be of a lower uh, blood alcohol limit. But along the way, we found some interesting things. And first of the things we found was that 0.05 it does not always have the same performance impairing effects. Uh, depends when you measure it. So 0.05 is the new legal limit for New Zealand. and very often if we if we're at a sporting event or at a holiday party we will manage our drinking so we we are sure that we've spread it out and interspersed it with food so that we're under this uh, under the legal limit and we're not too impaired what we found was though the longer that the alcohol's been in your bloodstream even if it's the same uh, 0.05 after it's been there for 3 or 4 or five hours, depending on how long the party was, uh, the impairment gets worse. That is, you are less and less able to drive well.
3: We actually found this was really interesting because you think, uh, given a legal blood alcohol limit of 0.05, you think actually, you know, if you're at 0.05, it's going to have the same effect. When you've been drinking for quite some time, we actually think part of the reason for this effect is that when you've been drinking for some time, your body essentially gets used to the effects of alcohol being there. So when you first start drinking, if you think about having your first drink when you go to the bar or first glass of wine, it actually, you know, you can actually really feel its effects. After a while, you stop being able to feel that. And essentially, your body adapts to alcohol being there so we actually think that part of the reason why driving and performance affected is when it's decreasing is essentially you've almost forgotten that you drink and actually when you feel drunk, you're actually going to pay more attention to the driving task and concentrate more whereas if you've been drinking for a while you forget that actually you've had any alcohol it's just something that you used to and actually you're not paying as much attention to the driving task as if your alcohol levels were increasing.
0: There's also a, a disinhibition or a willingness to do things that you wouldn't otherwise, uh, that comes with alcohol. So as you continue to get intoxicated, as you get higher levels of intoxication, you are actually more willing to drive than if you've just had one or two drinks. And, and probably you're driving as much riskier as well, the kinds of chances you'll take and the kinds of maneuvers that you'll, you'll try.
1: Have you actually been replicating party-like situations as well in your studies? We have,
3: actually. So the first work that we did was just looking at almost it was almost like a pharmacology study. We gave people quite set doses of alcohol to get to specific limits and then put them in the car to drive. And we were very aware that this isn't how people usually drink. So we run another study where we had groups of participants coming to the lab um, we um, allocated people to two, one of two different levels of alcohol or a placebo control group. The participants didn't know which group they were in. And we actually breathalyzed them all a series of times. And over the space of about three or four hours, we got them to carry out driving tasks on various cognitive assessment tasks. We actually found from that research that essentially the people who weren't drinking but who didn't know they weren't drinking often rated themselves as being as feeling more drunk than the people who were in the 0.05 alcohol group. And we quickly realised that this means that you really are really very bad at judging your own impairment, and essentially you can't tell whether or not you've been drinking, which is quite amazing.
1: I find it incredible that you can have the placebo effect of getting drunk. Yes.
0: <laughs> With consequences for the driving as well. So on some of the measures, the placebo uh, participants were behaving as drunk and driving as poorly as the participants who are drinking up to the level of 0.05 um, blood alcohol or 0.08 blood alcohol, the old legal limit.
1: What are your measures for poor driving?
0: Well, there's a whole range of them actually, but Reaction time is usually not impaired. That is, our ability to hit the brakes in sort of a panic situation when we see something. But our ability to not hit the brakes and not panic and then recover from something is greatly impaired. So we had cars that that might emerge from a side street ahead of the participant. And usually the participant could react in time and they would go over to the right lane uh, the other lane to uh, to go around them in, in sort of an orderly fashion, but then they wouldn't come back to the correct lane. They would perseverate on an error, and uh, and and generally they'd speed and spend more time over the speed limit than uh, than someone who wasn't intoxicated
3: our scenario was that they had to avoid a car that had pulled out from a junction in front of them and the people who had been drinking spent much more time on the opposite side of the road which has clear safety implications I mean obviously it doesn't in the simulator but on the real road it would Um, yes they avoided the car no they didn't crash but that was a consequence of the fact that we're in the simulator there was no oncoming traffic whereas in the real world the effects of that could be quite different.
1: Did people have any sense of their own impairment?
3: no actually one of our questions asked how drunk they felt on a scale from you know so the most sober they've ever felt to the most drunk they've ever felt and actually the people in the highest alcohol group rated themselves as feeling more sober than the lower alcohol group so essentially the more you drink the less able you are to judge your own impairment and also to accru- accurately judge how drunk you are
0: and that has consequences also for for this holiday season. If you're going to a party where there will be alcohol, you need to make the decision about who's going to drink, who's not, and how you're going to get home before you have that first drink, because that's one of the first things that's impaired is your judgment about how intoxicated you are. And so those decisions need to be made beforehand, and uh, young drivers under 20s that, that have recently had consequences or have, uh, put on them for, for or essentially a zero tolerance for alcohol, they've adopted that very, very well. And they've significantly reduced the harm, the vehicular-related uh, alcohol harm in their age group, something we could all sort of learn from.
1: So they've got much better stats than us older drivers who think, oh, I can get away with a drink or two, I'll be fine.
0: Well, or who are trying to judge it. You know, we often will drink and say, well, how do I feel? Am I intoxicated? Am I safe to drive? Yeah, I'm probably safe to drive because I've had this much food. Well, all of those sorts of rules of thumb we're finding out are wrong.
3: I think one of the other interesting things we found out when we are doing our research was there are certain formulas you can use to... Get people to certain levels of alcohol um, impairment we actually quickly realized that those formulas didn't quite work and essentially it's different for every single person so in our study when we were talking about getting people to a 0.08 alcohol limit which was the previous legal alcohol limit one of our participants he ended up consuming almost three-quarters of a bottle of vodka to reach the previous legal alcohol limit whereas for some of the other participants you're talking about two or three drinks so it varies hugely between across genders, across depending on your weight, depending how fit you are, and so it's a really it's really difficult to come up with a rule of thumb about how much you're safe to drink.
0: And even for. Uh, the same individual, depending on their metabolism that day yeah. and and how much sleep, sleep they've had, had. Yeah. Uh, all of those kinds of things make, mean it's, it's, it's very difficult to come up with a safe limit based on how much alcohol. It, yeah. it really depends on how the body's metabolized it on a given occasion.
3: Uh, I think it's certainly highlighted to me the dangers of uh, having anything to drink and getting in the car. And I think also in a party situation, it's actually really hard to monitor how many drinks you have had. If you're at a barbecue all day, you know, people offer you a drink, someone tops up your glass of wine, actually managing to keep track of how much you've had and what you've had is actually really quite difficult. So
1: take-home message, don't drink and drive? Definitely.
3: Don't drink and drive and decide how you're going to get home before you leave home and keep a really close track on the number of drinks you are actually consuming. And just because it's been a while since you had your last drink doesn't mean that your
1: driving is going to be okay. Because there's that descending blood alcohol thing where you're yep. worse as you're coming off it.
3: Yes, and that's how most people drink. If you go out if you go out in the evening, you might get to the bar and you'll have a couple of glasses of wine and think, right, I'm going to stop now because I'm going to drive home. doesn't necessarily mean that your driving is actually going to be that much better because essentially your body will have got used to the alcohol
1: and your driving will still be impaired even a couple of hours later. So there you have it, folks. A special Our Changing World public safety announcement courtesy of Nicholas Starkey and Samuel Charlton from the University of Waikato, reminding us that alcohol and cars really don't mix well. Kā te mai koe ki e pūtāio, te tāio, me te o te ora. This is Our Changing World with me, Alison Balance, and now... We're off to the Hutt Valley near Wellington where I join students from seven different schools for the Stokes Valley BioBlitz. Diane Christensen is a teacher at Koronui Primary School in Stokes Valley, Lower Hutt. Earlier this year, she became the first primary school teacher to win the Prime Minister's Science Teacher Prize. (laughs) Diane has been a geologist and a farmer, as well as a teacher. She's passionate about science and encourages her students to be curious about their world to ask questions and look for their own answers. She recently helped organise a science event that involved about 400 students.
4: We have our first ever Stokes Valley BioBlitz and that is where we've got about 80 scientists and specialists who've come to the valley to join with both our kids and seven other schools from around the wider Hutt Valley and the wider Wellington region. And looking to try and discover as many different species, plants, animals in the valley as possible.
3: Our
4: kids are unbelievably excited. They've spent the last two weeks starting to organise decorations for the Bio Blitz bus which you will have seen so completely decorated bus the inside of it is supposed to be a rainforest and there's all sorts of great messages for conservation and looking after Papatuanuku inside the bus and the kids have been working up to this all year we've had a really strong focus on science and learning about our environment so that We're growing kaitiaki at our school, that they know what lives in their valley. Um, If you look up on the bank behind us, you can see the plantings that we've just recently done. And we're going to compare what we find in our local reserve with what we find at school and at other places in the valley. And hopefully do this again in a couple of years, so we can see if what we're doing, all the planting we're doing, looking after our stream... um, trying to build habitats and doing a lot of predator trapping and tracking if it makes a difference. And so that's the science for us. That's the learning. And science is fun, and so you learn when you have fun. So, yeah, it is important for me. So the Bioblitz today, it's taking place in a few different locations? There are five different locations that we're working around. It really is a movable feast, and we're just waiting to see how we go. Oh, well I'm looking forward to eavesdropping on some of the things that are going on You've got a nice day for it We've got a wonderful day for it And we're carrying on into the night And we've got night sessions happening We're doing moth trapping And learning about all the native moths We are spotlighting for fish We're spotlighting for geckos And for weta oh, We're just going to have fun today <laughs>
1: Hi there, I'm Alison from Radio New Zealand. What are you looking forward to today? Good weather. Um, The weather forecast is looking good today, so we can uh, put some stuff in the stream, and um, it's going to be a good day. What else are you doing apart from the stream today?
4: Um, We're going to be doing some observating
2: to look at birds and things like that.
1: Do you like science? Yeah. What's your favourite kind of science? Uh, um, Looking at inventions and things. What's your name? Tom. So do you know what you're up to today? I'm um, meant to take like photos of every living thing. So what kind see. of living things do you think you might see? Um,
2: bugs, eels, maybe, maybe a few microinvertebrates or some, some cool insects. Cool, and
1: what's your name? Archie. You have a good day, Archie. Thank you. Thanks. Those students are on their way to the Stokes Valley Stream to give native fish a helping hand.
2: Uh, kia ora, I'm Travis Moody from Greater Wellington Regional Council. Today is fish barrier improvement.
1: So if we look at the stream, it's actually channeled in a concrete channel and then there's a bit of a little a weir, a waterfall at the bottom. Is that a problem for fish?
2: The waterfall is. It's a bit difficult for them to make their way up the waterfall, so um, we'll install some mussel fat ropes. If there's something solid for them to climb on, they'll, um, they've got nice big pectoral fins and they'll make their way up, climbing up whatever you give them. So um, yeah, it's just an improvement really to to what's there already and hopefully it'll work for them.
1: My next stop is a local bush reserve.
4: Great.
2: So that we're going to, um, that's another record we haven't recorded that when we did a night bug catching. That's beautiful. Now, this, the caprosma it's on, this is a caprosma. So this one is called caprosma robusta because it's a big-leafed caprosma. Think of robust. I'm strong, I'm robust. So do you want to record caprosma robusta in Nature Watch? So come and see where Periri moths have lived. Prairie moths? Live. Yep, prairie moths. Right, so prairie moths spend five years... Living oh. in next to the cambium of the tree, and this is a marble leaf tree, it has a little little leaf on it, and we've discovered in the reserve Carros moss, particularly like the leaves of a mar- or like marble leaf trees. So when we were here the other night, in that hole up there, and in the one higher up we could see the back legs of a wetter. So wetters move in afterwards, clean the house out a bit, and um stay in there. And we only found that out the other night because of your bio-blitz.
1: Further up the Stokes Valley stream, up behind the fire station, there's kids in the water with nets fishing around to see what they can find. There's another group of kids who are searching through the stuff that's been found in the nets, looking for all the different invertebrates that are in there. And there's a group testing water quality. Hi there. Hi there. What have you got going on?
2: We've been courting, um and stuff what's in here wait i got a net and we went over there and we did we needed them to put it in and um we needed into them into that creek cr- and yep. we needed them um, to move the rocks to cool them um, yeah some insects but
4: there was a cool name the lady used I think it was like invert in, do you in- remember invertebrates invertebrates
2: um, and I caught the goodest one all the world and what
4: was the cool one that we caught
2: Michael um Horse. Horse,
4: Heel. Worm. Yeah. It's over here. Oh, wow, that's amazing.
2: And there's a worm. Just join
4: in. There's a worm in here. Yep, there's worms.
2: I caught one, I caught one. Can I have the magnifying glass, please? So which one is that, Michael? Over here.
4: So if you have a quick look, on the end it's kind of got
2: like... Like a a tail. And it looks like
4: there's like... Little sharps. Is it moving quite fast or quite slow? Quite slow. Yeah. The head is the head is then red. Then it is a horse <laughs> here. Woo! Fantastic. We're testing the water to see if like it's
1: clean. Yeah, so clean and clear. So this is a water clarity tube. So what we're doing is we're moving the magnet along a one meter tube. Um, as far as we can go before we can't make out the shape of the magnet. And then that's going to tell us what percentage of water clarity we've got. It's actually quite heavy. So you're going to say stop and it gets far enough. Cut it. Right. So what we do now is we carefully turn the tube over and we're going to lo- look really closely to see what number it got to. Wari water tukou. tukou. OK, so that's a really good sign because anything above 75, means that the water is really clear, and that's one of the indicators it that's going to tell us it's a healthy stream. It's pretty cold. What else have you been doing?
2: Um, um, learning about fish. How hot it is. Yeah, how hot it hot is and it cold. Is.
1: And is it hot or cold at the moment?
2: It's cold. Is that a good thing? It's cold for the fish. It's good for the fish. If they're too hot, they'll die. What's your name? Beejah, Malaysia, Josiah. Telegi, Blade, Georgia.
1: What school do you go to? Puteri School. So are you having a good day? Yes. Yes. It's
0: cool. <laughs>
1: Kia ora Koronui School and kia ora to all the students and scientists who took part in the Stokes Valley BioBlitz. And in the 24 hours of the BioBlitz, they recorded 241 observations of 96 different species into the Nature Watch app. A big thanks to Prime Minister's Science Teacher Prize winner Diane Christensen, who organised the BioBlitz and invited me along. Thanks for listening. That's Our Changing World for tonight, but you'll find those stories, including photos, at our webpage rnz.co.nz/slash Our Changing World. You can also subscribe to our weekly email newsletter there, and if you want to load up with podcasts for the summer break, there are heaps of Our Changing World stories to choose from. Just keep scrolling down the page. Catch you next week, but for now, it's good night from me, Alison Balance. Latte-wa. Botox Cosmetic, auto botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you.